Welcome to another edition of the University of Washington's Thrivecast, the podcast designed to help the School of Medicine faculty thrive. I'm Trish Critic, and today we're joined by Dr. Margaret Isaac. Dr. Isaac is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine. She's both a primary care physician and a palliative care physician at Harborview Medical Center. Moreover, she is an outstanding educator and a really great speaker. And that's why I invited her to join us today. Um, Margaret, I thought of inviting you because I was reflecting back on that workshop that you did um, for the Office of Faculty Affairs and CLIMB about large group teaching and how you spoke about presence. And I thought it would be great to talk about that, though I had to pause and say, holy cow, it was a while ago that we had that workshop. It's hard to imagine large group teaching since then. That was February 2020, which is obviously a lifetime ago. Yeah, and it's crazy. It was like literally right before the pandemic started. And then we stopped having large group teaching sessions in the same way. And we do them on Zoom, but but we were talking about being in a classroom or in a lecture hall or a big setting. And I think in a moment of optimism, I want to go back to thinking about that because we're starting to go back to those spaces again. So I thought it would be great to talk with you a little bit about this concept of presence and what do we mean by presence and how we might cultivate presence um, as teachers, as speakers, as lecturers, whatever those spaces may be. So thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. And let me start off by asking like, what do you mean by presence? What, what do we, what is that con what is that concept presence? There are a lot of definitions of presence and literally it can mean just bringing your self, your physical self and your attention into a room. A lot of people equate presence with charisma, which is this idea of, there are a lot of definitions of that as well, but the one I like best is, I like you and the world likes me, which is from Angela Duckworth, um, the social scientist. So, so some of it is that charisma that you bring into the room, but I think fundamentally it's about engagement and having an awareness of yourself, of your audience and the connection to what you're teaching. I think um, that's really helpful. And, and I think there probably are people who have presence who don't have charisma, maybe. And maybe mm-hmm. we're going to come back to that and talk about that more in a little bit. I want to build on what you said about kind of knowing yourself, knowing your audience and, and being excited about the stuff that you're, the content that you're bringing to those spaces. So let's start off by talking about knowing yourself. So what do I have to know about myself to kind of cultivate this idea of presence? I think some of it is knowing where you are in the moment. So what's your emotional landscape right now? Are you anxious? Are you tired? Are you distracted? And having some mindfulness around that is useful. We can talk about the sort of stage fright anxiety piece of that perhaps a little bit later. Um, I also think it's knowing your own strengths and we will all have different, a different array of innate strengths and, and skills that we've really been building over the years as well. And for some people, humor may be one of those strengths that they call upon. Uh, for others, it may be a genuine curiosity about the people that they're teaching and an ability to draw them out in conversation. So I think there are different ways, different skills that you can bring that can all contribute to presence. And it's not going to look exactly the same for everyone. I really like that you, I think the first thing is to say like lots of people could have presence. And so it's about building on your strengths, you said, and understanding kind of where you are 
where where you are emotionally as you come into those spaces. So let, let's dig into that a little bit more. Um, you mentioned the concept of stage fright. So I think sometimes the thing that limits people having presence is they're nervous about standing in front of a group of people, particularly if they're their peers. I remember I do a lot of large group teaching, or at least I did in a former life. <laughs> I, I remember giving grand rounds in the Department of Medicine and I suddenly was much more nervous than I am with like literally hundreds of people in a room, often in much larger settings. And it was because it was a bunch of people that I thought of as peers and really cared about. And I felt all of a sudden I had a little bit of stage fright. So do you have advice for, for our listeners who are trying to kind of voyage into these large spaces and do have a sense of straight stage fright? It's so common. I don't know of anybody that doesn't feel a little bit of the twinge of nerves in, in the right environment. There may be some spaces where you feel really comfortable, maybe with a smaller group or lecturing on a topic that you have more comfort with. I think there are different things that contribute to certain situations being more stressful, like what mm-hmm. you described with the colleagues that you have so much respect for and really want to do a good job in front of them. Um, some of it is about preparation and you and I had talked before in an earlier conversation about, I think you were describing walking around Queen Anne, the streets of Queen Anne, practicing a talk. And I, I love that. I will lock myself in a room alone and literally give the talk to myself because having said the phrases before, and usually not just once, but a few times, knowing how I'm going to formulate a phrase just helps me a ton in the moment to know I I can do this. I have done this before. Some of it is around preparing your materials really well. So having a system for how you do your presenter notes. I've had situations before. I've done a lot of large group teaching with medical students. And early on, I would put down all the references I wanted to cite. And I would include these big blocks of information. And I figured out I can't read that to people And it's actually better to have bulleted phrases so I can feel more natural in the moment and and really come up with a phrasing that feels more organic and authentic when I'm actually there. Mm -hmm. So that all that piece is prep. And if I've done that well, I feel less anxious, but I may still feel anxious. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And you know, I get the dry mouth, I get pretty sweaty. (laughs) Um, I can feel my heart racing before Mm -hmm. a big session. And for me, there are some little micro practices that can be helpful. Um, there's one that I learned about from Coco Kirkhoff, who's one of our FCM mm-hmm. chairs in, um, in Montana. And this is a skill we teach to students. And the technique is called STOP. And it's an acronym. So the S is for literally stop. Stop what you're doing. T is take a breath. And, you know, breath is a useful anchor because it's always there. you're always going to have a breath that you can focus on. O is observe. And that's just a moment of self-awareness. You know, how am I feeling? How's my body? Are my shoulders tight? Is my heart going fast? And then P is either prepare or proceed. So kind of figure out what you're going to do next. And just having that little mindful moment can kind of deflate the amplitude or lower the amplitude of the anxiety that you're feeling just by being aware of it. The other piece that I find useful is to remind myself of my prior experiences with large group teaching. So I know I always get a little nervous at the beginning and I may feel a little stilted and then I kind of hit my rhythm and it, and I start to have fun. And so I try to remind myself, okay, this is how it goes. You're going to be a little nervous. And then 
you're going to hit your rhythm and it's going to be fun. The time's going to fly by and you're going to be really glad you did this and remind yourself of why you're doing it too. Like I'm, I'm really excited to get to teach these brand new medical students about the physical exam. They're excited to learn it. What a cool thing. I think that, that, that there's so much wisdom there. So let me just parse out a few things that I heard. So I'm going to go to the middle one first, that, that micro practice of stop seems wonderful. And I think if you're one of those people who does feel their heart rate going up right before you start to give a talk, that's a great little micro practice to do either sitting in your chair before you stand up or even when you're mm-hmm. standing at the podium. I love that. I am, as you know, because we did talk about it, I'm a big fan of practice. I, I firmly believe saying the talk out loud is so different than saying it in your head. And all of a yes. sudden you learn like, oh, that sounded good in my head. But when it came out <laughs> my mouth, it didn't right. sound good at all. Right. And and you are right that I often give my talks. I try to know them without having any aids because I often do chalk talks. I do give the talks as I take a walk around the top of Queen Anne. So any of my neighbors who see me talking to myself, it's that's probably what I'm doing. Maybe not, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love also that tidbit about kind of reminding myself of how it goes. And, and I just want to amplify that. I actually think it's okay to feel a little anxious before you start. Yes. And, and if I'm not feeling that little bit of anxiety before I start, I'm not sure I'm like all in uh, to that to that moment personally. Right. I agree. I mean, that's, uh, uh, there's some spectrum there of like feeling anxious and then being engaged. And if you're not a little anxious, then maybe, maybe you don't care enough about what you're doing. It's, it's a sign that you really are invested and that you care about doing a good job. And a little bit of that is a really good thing. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I feel that when I'm going to go stand in front of a large group of medical students, I'm giving one of my talks. I like, I want to feel a little bit amped up, not too much. And I, and again, I like the stop tool for those moments. So thank you for those thoughts. I remember you talked also a little bit about kind of being in the room, being present in the room and how Mm -hmm. you are, you know, physically in that space, kind of the nonverbals you might use to have presence in the room as well. Cause now I've gotten myself calm. I'm going to do my talk. So do you have thoughts on kind of, being in the room and and the nonverbals. Well, being in the room, I think some of that is is knowing who's in there and feeling connected to your audience. Mm-hmm. I've I've been lucky in that a lot of the teaching I've done has been in a longitudinal relationship with a class. So I've gotten been able to get to know my audience over the course of many months, and and that's a wonderful thing because then you can really make a point to learn people's names. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used flashcards with people's pictures on one side and their names on the other and quiz myself. So I, I know who they are and when they raise their hand, I can call on them by name and that helps a lot. But, you know, if you're meeting an audience for the first time, maybe, you know, some of the people, maybe you don't as they come in, introducing yourself to them, learning their names. So at least you have a few people in there who are familiar and it's also a way to take your own focus off yourself and your nerves. It, makes the audience feel like just a bunch of humans who are there to learn and not something more intimidating than that. Um, and, and connects you to them so that then they're invested in your success as well. Yeah. I think them knowing you as a person, a tiny, tiny bit helps them and it sure yeah. helps you. I'm also a fan of like finding those people in the room who are the nodders, you know, we all know them <laughs> and we might I love the you. nodders. <laughs> I find them in all quadrants of the room so I can, hone in on them because they're giving me positive reinforcement all the time. And, and I find that super helpful. I mean, I actually agree with you knowing the folks in the room when you teach them over time and knowing their names is super important. But when, when you, when it's a one shot, 
kind of experience, yeah. I, I look for those folks. That's great. There's the nodders and then there's the nodders off and then there's everyone in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to ignore the nodders off and I yeah. try to minimize those folks, but, um, <laughs> but there's almost always those people who will give you some positive reinforcement, which helps. And I try to have them throughout the space so that I kind of am looking all over the room too. Yeah. I love that. I, I will say when I was a student, I was definitely not a nodder at all. I was more of a do crosswords in the lecture hall kind of person <laughs> that doesn't speak well of me as a student. But as I've, as I've done lecturing on my own, when I'm in an audience now, I think I've become a nodder because I'm so appreciative of those people. They, they are your lifeblood as you, as you are lecturing, like somebody's paying attention. Somebody's feeling what I'm, you know, they're buying what I'm selling here. Do you, um, do you wander around? Are you, what do you think about the kind of behind the podium versus moving? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, you know, I certainly wouldn't say there's one right way to do that. I like to get away from the podium because I just find it so much easier to connect and to make eye contact because often the podiums and not just at the front of the room, but it may be on one side of the room and you, you lose a good half of your audience if you're not able to really connect with them. So I, I do try to move around. Um, this ages me, but I, I just think about Phil Donahue. This, <laughs> he, was, he was a big one with his microphone, like running up and down the aisles. And I don't know that I go full Donahue, uh, but I, I do maybe a partial Donahue and try and train roam around a little bit just because it's easier to make eye contact. And, and then people are less inclined to fall asleep if they know you're going to be physically near them too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to affirm that you did show your age because Phil Donahue was of our generation, <laughs> older than us, but of a, a yeah. generation, our generation would know who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that concept I really like, and I think it ties into what you said before about knowing your content. Cause I think you only feel comfortable leaving the podium when you really feel prepared. So yeah. those two kind of link in, but I think that moving around and connecting with different parts of your audience, again, getting to know your audience, be present, I, that resonates with me quite a bit. Yeah, that's great. I, I like how you put that. I think um, I want to talk about one thing that's maybe a, a, a thing to avoid. I have been in places where I feel like I've sat with people who are speaking who kind of undermine their own presence or their own authority mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. room. And while I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about what not to do, because I like talking about what we should do, are there some things we can maybe remind people to, what to avoid to not undermine themselves? I think this one is so complicated and there's so much nuance in here because I personally wish that more of us would be willing to be transparent when we don't know things. And I think it's maybe a cultural problem with medicine that we are so unwilling to show um to to show our uncertainty Mm -hmm. I I think that is that is a part of medicine that isn't great and I would say there is a way in which we can undermine our own authority or expertise is maybe a better better word in the way that we frame things there are many times when all of us have given a talk and we just the night before went and read up on the most recent studies that back up what we're trying to say. And it's very tempting to say, well, I was just refreshing my memory last night about this dot, dot, dot. And I feel like that kind of framing can sometimes really undermine the fact that you, you've actually done a lot of reading on this topic. You actually know quite a bit about this topic. And it's not that you just did a Google search last night. There are other phrases that I think are undermining 
such as it's just my opinion, but blah, 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 versus saying my opinion is that blah, 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 which is you're really sharing the same amount of uncertainty, but you're framing it in a way that doesn't undercut you. I think there's a lot of gender in this. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me, I'm speaking from my own experience, having been socialized as a girl and then a woman. I certainly was taught in school, not explicitly perhaps, but through feedback that it wasn't great to show off your knowledge and that it was important to be collaborative and not make other people um, feel like you knew more than they did. And I definitely have been acculturated to undercut my own certainty about things that I may in fact really know. So I think for me, the sweet spot that I'm aiming for still is to be really honest about things that I don't know, maybe the things that aren't even knowable. And, and then, you know, really stand on my own two feet and feel confident and, um, and portray that about the things that, that I do have under my belt. I really appreciate the kind of thoughtfulness you brought to that question because it's not easy. I do think there are gender uh, undertones to the language that people choose and want to try to not unnecessarily minimize your expertise. That's important. And Mm -hmm. I actually think that acknowledging what you don't know can add to your validity as an expert sometimes. Yes. It's how you do that, right? It's okay to say, well, that's an awesome question. And I've never thought of it that way. I'm going to get back to you on that. Or does anyone else in the room have an answer to that or whatever it is? I do 100% support what you said, which is be transparent about the stuff that we don't know because all of us don't know things. Right. (laughs) For sure. And be confident in the stuff you do know. Exactly. And, and, and know which is which. And I, I love what you shared there too, around kicking it back to the audience. There will often be somebody in the audience that, that knows more about a particular piece of what you're talking about than you do. And, and asking for their input is another great way to engage the audience. And I, I will say that point about being, being transparent about what we don't know. I think in a way for me, that's felt easier as I've gotten older, because mm-hmm. I feel more confident in my own foundation. Mm-hmm. When I was just getting started out of residency, and even before that, I, I found it really hard to say that publicly because I felt like my incompetence was showing. I, I, I you know, yeah. I think we all, all feel that. I, I totally yeah. hear that. And I appreciate you saying that because I think earlier career folks are going to be listening. And I think you're acknowledging it's okay if that's how you feel right now. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. Our time is flying by. I wonder if there's any one last pearl you want to give folks about kind of being in front of the room and and having that presence. Um, We haven't really talked about power and how that plays in here. And I think that is an important consideration. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that. Yeah. It's, it's probably a, a topic for a whole other podcast episode, but I think our own power, our own self perception of our power, the audience's perception of our power really impacts how we think about presence as well. Um, some of that is is not within our control and has to do with our, our age, our experience, our identities, mm-hmm. um, and those of our audience. And, and some of those, if you're in a position where you have relatively more power, I think you can play with that a little bit. And you can think of these spectrums of sort of well, accessibility versus being more of a sort of authoritarian presence. Um, how do you, are, are you more formal? Are you less formal? 
that all gets at power. And, and one of the ways in, in which I've really felt other people's presence is when they are somebody with quite a bit of power, what I perceive to be certainly relative to me, and, and then they are accessible, they, they are inviting of other perspectives and, and perhaps transparent about the holes in their own knowledge that really creates a wonderful uh, amount of engagement and that sense of presence and, and really charisma and magnetism again, where you're admiring of this person and you, you really want to hear what they have to say. I really, really like that. I think it's a, that acknowledgement of our own power in the situation, which will be different for each individual, but that maybe the way to, to build the, the presence in that situation is to, to show humility and engagement and curiosity and, and openness as opposed to authority um, and trying to find that space where you can be confident in the stuff that you know and also be welcoming of other folks into the, to the space and inviting of mm-hmm. their partnership. I think that's kind of the sweet spot that we're striving for. Yeah, I love that. I love how you put that together, Trish. It's great. Well, I was just saying what you said because it was very nice. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think you said it beautifully. And I think there was a ton of a ton of wisdom, lots of pearls in this brief podcast that I think folks might have to listen to it twice to appreciate all the different things that you've shared. So thank you so much, Margaret, for this conversation. I think that the folks listening will learn a ton from this and probably listen. I'm going to encourage them to listen to it right before they have to go, go back <laughs> into the large group teaching sessions that they might be now once again be envisioning themselves doing. Thanks, Trish. This was super fun. I appreciate the invitation. Of course. And thanks again. Um, For folks who've listened, as you know, if you want to listen to more episodes of Thrivecast, you can find them at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find them at the UW School of Medicine faculty website at faculty.udubmedicine.org. It was a pleasure talking with Margaret today. I hope you all enjoyed it and that you have a wonderful day. See you soon. 